Welcome to the Be Brave podcast, where ordinary, badass, brave women speak their stories of courage and strength. We hope that by hearing the struggles and successes of women just like you, it will help you be brave. Please note that the Be Brave podcast does cover adult topics that include overcoming adversity in areas of sexual abuse, addiction, depression, and other difficult experiences. Today's podcast is going to be a little different. Our topic is women's reproductive health. We're going to talk about the choices women have or do not have and the choices they make related to their health. After the recent overturning of Roe versus Wade, Patty and I wanted to dedicate a podcast to women who have had difficult choices to make at some point in their lives related to pregnancy. Today is September 19th, 2022. And since February of this year, when Justice Alito's decision about Roe versus Wade was leaked, I've been reading everything I could find about what is going to happen about abortion rights. And one thing I can tell you for certain is that there are many, many different opinions about what is acceptable. I'm encouraged to see that a few states have put the issue on their ballots for November, namely California, Michigan, Kentucky, Montana, and Vermont and that Kansas already addressed it on the ballot during their primary election in August. Many of you who are regular listeners already know that Patty nor I have had children of our own. I will go one step further and tell you that neither one of us has been pregnant either. So although we are passionate about the topic, neither one of us has firsthand experience. And we actually had a conversation recently about how it's so easy to have an opinion about something that you've never experienced, but it makes a big difference when you hear the story of someone who has. Hopefully many of you were able to listen to episode 14 of our podcast that was released a few months ago. Our guest Eileen spoke with us about her choice to drop out of college at age 18 when she became pregnant with her daughter. Today we have three more guests willing to share their stories about the choices they made related to pregnancy. We are grateful to have Alicia, Nancy, and Pam with us today. Welcome ladies. Yeah, thank you, ladies, for joining us. I'm going to read a quote to you that we read to all of our guests here by Brene Brown. And the quote is, one day you will tell your story of how you've overcome what you're going through now, and it will become part of someone else's survival guide. So thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today and letting us hear from you how you dealt with some really difficult choices over your pregnancy. So we have Alicia, Nancy, and Pam with us today. And I'm going to ask each of you to just give us a little kind of one second or 30 second kind of introduction of what your difficult choice was over pregnancy, what you chose. And then we're going to start with Alicia and have her share with us her story. So why don't we start with Alicia and then go to Nancy and then Pam for your little synopsis and we'll go back to Alicia. And as always, this is a casual conversation. So ladies, please feel free to ask each other questions and help us discover your journeys. So Alicia, thank you so much. Thank you. So my name is Alicia. I became pregnant when I was 26 
it was unplanned and I chose to have an abortion. Thank you, Alicia. My name is Nancy. I became pregnant at 19 and I was very much in love with the man who I was dating for the last four or five years and we decided to be married and have a child. Thank you, Nancy. Pam? My name is Pam and with my fourth pregnancy, I was suffering the signs of losing a baby and decided to basically terminate the pregnancy rather than let it go by itself. Thank you, Pam. I know all of those decisions were weighing heavy on your heart at the time that you were making it. And we would love to hear more of your story, Alicia, if you're comfortable sharing with us today. Sure. Uh, So I was 26 years old. I'd been, I graduated from college. I'd been working for a few years in my first job. I was not making very much money. I was living on my own and I was just barely uh, squeaking by. Because of that, I had decided since I wasn't seeing anybody for quite a while, I decided to go off my birth control pill because at the time uh, it was not cheap to be on a monthly birth control pill. So I went off it and there was sort of this horrible, (laughs) perfect storm of timing where my company switched insurances and my doctor was no longer on the insurance. Everybody in my company seemed in my office, went to the same doctor. So they said, we're going to get this doctor back on our insurance. It's just going to take a little time. Around that time, I started dating someone and it got serious. So while we were waiting to get my doctor back on the insurance so that I could get a prescription for birth control, we used other methods that unfortunately failed and I became pregnant. He had a young daughter who was about two years old. He had just recently gotten out of a relationship with the mother. As I said, I was barely squeaking by supporting myself. So I came to the difficult decision to end the pregnancy. I had friends who had become pregnant as teenagers, some who placed the child for adoption, some who raised the child. I had friends who were adopted. So I had a lot to draw on when I made this decision and family circumstances uh, that I considered. So it wasn't something I took lightly, certainly. It was a very difficult decision. But in the end, I decided what would be best for the child and what would be best for me was to to do this. Does not sound like an easy decision, Alicia, at all. No, no, it wasn't. And, you know, I look back on it now. I think about it now and then. It's not something that I think ever leaves anyone. But I still think given the information I had at the time, given the circumstances I was in at the time, I still think that if I were there again, I would still make the same decision. Yeah. And you mentioned the birth control piece, and we kind of had a discussion prior to starting the recording. I'm trying to think back to when I was in my late teens and 20s when I was sexually active and what my birth control, I was on birth control pills for a while. And I'm trying to, I can't remember exactly whether it was easy or difficult to get them. I think I was going to Planned Parenthood at the time myself, um, because for me, going to the family doctor was embarrassing. And what if they told my parents? And I know, Pam, you had made a comment about it being very expensive and remember it being hard to come by. Yes. Yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't go to the same person that was going to tell your mom. Cause even when I was 20, my mom thought that was a horrible, horrible thing to 
to be sexually active when you're not married. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is why Planned Parenthood kind of even exists as a safe place for people, for women to go to, to get the help they need without it being so public or so traceable or so known. It's more of a private place, right? Where you could go as a teenager and get the help that you need around that kind of subject. Yeah. And you know, something that's always, that I think is important to share, and I and I can only draw on my experience, obviously, but I went to Planned Parenthood for my procedure. And, you know, there, there's all this, misinformation or stigma around Planned Parenthood and and what happens when you go there uh, for an abortion. And I have to say, for me, you know, when I went, they spoke to me for a long time. Um, There were counselors there. They asked me, you know, they wanted to make sure that I understood every option that was available to me, you know, foster care, adoption, all everything that that you could possibly think of, making sure that I understood what my options were. Beyond that, you know, they said, you can't come by yourself. You have to have somebody with you. You can't leave by yourself afterwards. You cannot leave here without being on birth control when you leave. They watched me they said, we will give you a prescription and we will watch you take it before you leave here. But during the procedure, which was understandably an unpleasant thing, I got very upset and was crying. And I rem- I still vividly remember the face of the woman who performed it. She stopped and looked at me and said, you don't have to do this. There's still time we can stop. And I said, no, this I, I definitely want to do this. And she said, are you sure? And I said, yes. And so this idea that, you know, you're going in there like getting a ticket at the deli counter and waiting and they're just churning out is just so untrue. And I do wish people knew that, that there was a better understanding of what happens when women go to Planned Parenthood for anything, not just this, but for anything. And and I wish there was a better understanding and more education around that across the country. Well, at least there will be now, Alicia, with our listeners, since you just shared that, right? Thank you for sharing that. I I can see it was difficult for you to share that experience, but you're right. It's not like you just, like we're, we're playing per- parenthood is just there waiting to turn and burn abortions. That's not how it is. It's a very intimate decision. It's a very personal decision. It's a very, let, let's educate you about your choices and help you be be a full person with this choice that you're making, right? I mean, there's a lot that Planned Parenthood does to help women through these decisions, no matter which side they pick. Even before this the decision came down, I think that going, doing anything with Planned Parenthood in any capacity, you know, from being a receptionist to being um, the doctor, it how all those people really had to it's it's a big step up, up to do that because there's a lot of risk there's protests you know long for for years and years and years and i think that most of the people that are doing it well probably everybody who's actually working there are is doing it because they want to help women yeah yep agreed alicia thank you so much for being so vulnerable with that i think uh We have a lot of questions for you, but I want to get to Nancy and Pam and then come back to all the questions, if that's okay. Absolutely. Nancy, please 
share our share the rest of your story about how you were dating someone. You, so at 19 years old, you had already been dating someone for four or five years, you said. So started dating at a really young age with this man that you loved so much. Yeah. That you got pregnant with. Share that with us as well, please. Yes. I, I met Peter um, when I was 15. I was close to 16. And he shared the same values as me. He loved my family and I loved him. And we we abstained from sex for probably three years because it. I was Catholic. And I, I said, no, we don't do that till we're married. And he, he was fine with that. He understood that. But then at the time I turned, I guess, 18, I had started a job and I was in New York City and I felt like I, I was capable and I just felt more grown up and we started having sex. Wonderful, wonderful lovemaking. And I tried to do birth control pills just like everybody else, but I didn't find them difficult to get. I had to go to my doctor and um, he was fine with giving them to me, but I had an allergic reaction to them and I would get violently ill every time I had one. So I stopped and I, I said we would just abstain or we would just try to be careful. And within two or three months, I was pregnant. And the first person I told was my mother, who was the mother of six kids. And I was her oldest daughter. And I went home that day and she was folding laundry. And I said, mom, I'm pregnant. And she goes, oh, she goes, I have to tell your father. And then she said, go upstairs. And I went upstairs and I heard my mother downstairs crying and telling my father, Nancy's pregnant. And I heard my father say these words, I want her the fuck out of my house in one week. Wow. Oh my God. Yep. Wow. Yep. Wow. I was 19 and pregnant. So Nancy, hold on one second. What year was this? 1971. Okay. Two years before Roe versus Wade. I I mean, I never even thought of an abortion. I never, ever thought of an abortion. I wanted to have his child and I wanted to have six children by him because I loved him and I still to this day love. But, you know, you 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 call this podcast the bold and the brave. I'm very bold and I'm very brave. I was willing and able to figure this out with Peter. And he was like, I'll marry you if you want. I said, I'm marrying you. That's it. And we found a Catholic church, the church I went to for probably 20 years. We spoke to the priest and the priest was like, okay, fine, we can marry you, but I have to see both your separate parents. So again, they dragged my parents. It was horrible. It was just horrible. Neither one of our parents wanted to have anything to do with this. My father had basically kicked me out of the house. And uh, and a week later, we were married. And my sister, Susan, was throwing me a, a baby shower, first a bridal shower. And then as I got closer to having my baby, she was getting ready to throw me a, um, a baby shower. And I had gone to the doctor for a checkup. And he said, wow, you're ready to give birth any minute, aren't you? I said, no. I said, no, I'm only seven months along. And he goes, wait a minute. <laughs> he goes, there's someone else in there. <laughs> he goes, take her into x-ray. And they x-rayed my womb. Whoa. And yeah. And he goes, there's two spines in here. And I actually had an x-ray, like one of the radi- the x-rays that he gave me in an envelope. And there were two little spines in there. I was having twins. And so Peter and I were sitting in the doctor's office and and we called him in and, and Tucky goes, it's twins. And Pete looked at me and I looked at him. We just, we just cracked up. Hey, you know, <laughs> we're going to do this. We're going to figure this out. And sure enough... <laughs> Two months later, I gave birth to identical twin sons, you know, and just unbelievable, unbelievable experience for me. All of my troubles happened afterwards because of the financial burden and the, you know, the just moving constantly because we could not make ends meet. But I never doubted. I never doubted. And even when it became 
you know, two babies instead of one. I never doubted that man. And I mean, we, we never had any more children because I couldn't have any more after that. And I, um, you know, we had a beautiful life. We were very successful careers, raised our two sons, put them in college. And they were best friends for their whole lives. And it was a gift. I was given a gift and I had this man and I, I, um, I'll never regret it. I'll never regret having those children. Nancy, so your father wanted you out of the house in a, in a week. Did that change his mind when you got married or, I mean. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. When, well, they would, my father wouldn't let any of my siblings come to the wedding because I had little ones. My brother, Danny was like only five and my sister was seven and I mean, they were little kids. And my parents had three, three big ones all by the same parents. So they weren't, they, nobody was allowed to come to the wedding. So, um, I went and my, my older sister came, my older brother came, but none of the little ones uh, went. And in fact, my sister Jane said, you just disappeared when I was about eight years old. I never knew what happened to you. Wow. <laughs> really? Yeah. And a year later I showed up with two kids, but they, they didn't even question it. You know, one day my dad had to drive me to see father Mason, who uh, we named our son after actually. And, uh, on the way to the church, my dad turned to me and I guess he realized I was really seriously going to go through this, through with this. And he said, you know, if you want, you don't have to do this. And I turned to him. I said, dad, I want to do this. I'm getting married. I'm having this baby. And he just, that was it. That was it. What do you, what do you mean? That was it. What, what was his reaction? My decision was made. He didn't want it. He did. I mean, he was, he was pretty stoic, you know, and and he didn't say much, but he didn't want it, but he, he had no choice in the matter. This was my decision and I was doing it. I don't know what he said, but you don't have to do this. Go, meaning go through the wedding. He didn't say abortion. He didn't say, you know, you, you can, we'll raise it for you. He didn't say any of that. I just said, no, I'm having this baby and I'm marrying this man. And I did, I married him a week later. So I, I really have to live my entire life that way. I, I make my own decisions and I do what I think is right because I feel it's right. And I believe any other woman has the same right to make their own decision. But that was my decision. I was going to have this little family and, and be a mom at 19. So here I am, you know, 50 years later. And, uh, I, I never regretted, never regretted the choice. So yeah, so you're saying that everyone gets to make the decision of what's best for them. Yeah. 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 My dad didn't make it for me. I made it for myself. I could have buckled, you know, I could have hid it from them. I could have gotten an abortion. I don't think Carrie and twins, you would have hid it from. <laughs> God, I don't know. I don't know. I was, I was really pregnant. They went full term, nine, nine months and 12 pounds of baby. Yeah, it was a big one. That's amazing. <laughs> 12 pounds together, right? Six and six, I hope. God, I hope so. It's a lot of twin, right? Most twins don't don't get that big. Good for you. Well, Nancy. one was six, four, and the other was six, five. So it was 12 pounds total. And I, I gave birth to both of them in four minutes. So yeah. Naturally? Yep. Vaginally. Holy cow. You go, girl. Yep. You were certainly adamant about having these children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, it was, it was you know, it was a piece of cake. I mean, he took me to the hospital. My water had broke and the doctor said, go home. It was a 20 minute ride home because she's going to be here a while. He gets to the apartment. The phone's ringing. Congratulations. You're the father of twin sons. 
And it was like that. He goes, get back to the hospital. <laughs> so, and there I was, you know, with two babies. Yeah. Yeah. You forget that long ago. You forget that, that the dad wasn't in the room. You forget that, that long ago that it was the mom doing it all by herself. Yep. I think, I think they were still smoking in hospitals back I, then. They were for sure. They were at the nurse's station. A hundred percent. Yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 My father loved those twins so much that he and my mom had moved to Florida a little bit afterwards. And he insisted I give him my kids every summer till they were actually went off to high school because he wanted them to be there. And they were raised with my two brothers. So they're all best friends today, which is amazing. But yeah, we stuck together. The family stuck together. So, And I never judged my dad. I knew he came from a different generation, a different era. My mom followed his direction no matter what. And I was just like, well, I'm going my way, mom. This is what I'm doing. And I did it full out. I, I never, never hit it. I never thought twice about it. I knew what I wanted. So your parents did come around. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. In the hospital. They came to the hospital and and uh, I, of course, was very sick afterwards. And then they, my mom actually had my, my babies living with her for, for six weeks while I recovered. But yeah, it was tough. It was, it was tough after that, believe me. But the decision was, was instant. And, you know, I, I can go into all that stuff too, but that doesn't matter. The important thing was the decision was mine and I made it on my own. And that's what I chose. And I never regretted it. Thanks, Nancy. Pam, would you like to tell us your story, please? Uh, well, my story doesn't seem as exciting, except that I feel like, you know, I, I'm the, the, I've had some of the same experiences with parents. I, what, what I'm thinking about as I'm listening to Nancy is like, what if we lived in a society, which there are societies, where if you're not married, you can't keep your baby? Ooh. Like, there's all kinds of things that come into play. My parents would have been the same way if I would have went to them and said it was pregnant when I was 19, they would have been like, get out of here. Because it was such a bad reflection on them that they raised a child that had sex, which is like pretty much what every adult does. <laughs> I think they did. Right. They did it one time in their life to have you, right? Right. right. I mean, that was just it. For me, I thought that, well, you know, after the uh, kind of risking it years and getting married, doing everything on the up and up. When I decided to have kids, it wasn't that easy. And then I got pregnant after a couple of months. And that's when I had the miscarriage that, you know, was, was horrendous. And then I went on to get pregnant four more times in four years, um, which, it, you know, ended up in the a second miscarriage, which was between my uh, second and third child. But it was, you know, I, I realized like, wow, I did come to realize, man, it's a really easy thing to become pregnant. You know, after it was hard one time, but then it got real easy. But but I also knew that it was risky. And every time, you know, my first child, well, my, my first pregnancy was a miscarriage. My first child was a very difficult birth. She had the cord wrapped around her neck. It was, it was, um, you know, it was just a really long labor and I felt terrible for ages afterwards. My second child popped out, almost flew. They, my doctor would tell you like she thought she was going to fly across the room because she was so easy. And my son 
was 11 pounds, nine ounces. So holy crap! I was almost <laughs> as pregnant as you, Nancy, but I only had one kid and they had to cut him out. The first incident happened that I realized, well, and with knowledge I know now that she wasn't going to do anything until she was, until my body just absolutely did it itself. The second time when it happened, um, when I went in, I knew I could tell that there wasn't a heartbeat. And I said, you got to get my doctor here right now. I had two kids. I had two babies. One was, I think, I think I had one that was uh, not even two and, and, and one that was under a year old. And there was no way that I wanted anything to happen to me when I, those, those kids were that little. So in a way it was an abortion, like, because in, uh, under the laws, as I understand it today, being the mother of a gynecologist, OBGYN, it wouldn't be allowed. But the point is that like, I just feel like it, I'm just one person and everything is, can be so different from one thing, you know, from one year to the next. And it's all so, so precarious. You know, I also have two daughters who are in the baby delivering business. One is a OBGYN. The other one's a midwife. It's rare, but it happens more often than you think that a woman doesn't make it, you know, just doesn't like random things that have can happen that only happen, you know, maybe one every 200 pregnancies. Well, after 200 pregnancies, it's going to happen. Someone's going to have an amniotic embolism and there's nothing you can do about it. They just, they pretty much are done. You're saying that where something happens where the mom doesn't make the delivery of the child and the mom dies. And that was the position you were in, Pam, where you had one pregnancy where you almost died because of, of what was happening. And then you saw that happening a second time. Yeah, I could never let it happen again. Right. But I think that, you know, and I and I think that's that's the thing. I mean, um, my daughter this year before she left Philadelphia, she's working at Tampa General now, but before she, when she was working at in Philadelphia, she had a situation where a patient came into the emergency room. She'd been transferred from another hospital because she was doing so poorly. When my daughter examined her, she knew that they had to operate on her immediately because the woman was, was basically, they were losing her. So they operated on this woman in the emergency room. She had a tubal pregnancy that had exploded and she was bleeding to death. And and so her life was saved and one of her tubes was saved because they did the surgery as in the emergency room, whatever. But it is a situation where with the laws, the way that they are changing right now, that wouldn't be allowed because that baby's heart, even though it it wasn't in the uterus, that heart was beating. Wow. Wow. So they would have sacrificed the mom for the baby. Uh-huh. And the baby. Well, the baby would have baby wouldn't have made it. You can't make it if you're not right in the uterus. Right. I mean, I know that I barely know Nancy and I don't know Alicia at all, but I can just gather by sitting here for five minutes that we're all fairly intelligent women, adult women who have experienced different things in our lives. And um, I think, you know, our perspectives are interesting. I mean, just listening to Alicia just now, I was thinking about when I was young and and became, becoming sexually active and how hard it was to get birth control 
You had to go to a doctor. It, it was very, very, very hard. It was, I think that a lot of people, at least in, in my generation, I think I'll, I'll, I know a lot of people who risked it because it was very difficult to come by anything, you know, and then if you, if you did manage to, you know, get yourself to the doctor and get a prescription for birth control pills, they weren't cheap. I mean, like, you know, we didn't make that much money and you, you, and then it cost whatever it was a month. It was, it was a lot. And so again, I think a lot of people were just like, I'll just, I'll just risk it. I'll just, you know, or I'll just, to try whatever that will will or won't work. I think that there are a lot of factors that go into everything we do. And for me, I, I never had an abortion, but I grew up Catholic. I grew up going to, to um, Sunday school where they wanted us to march on Washington for, to, for pro-life. And it wasn't until I became an adult and I, well, and actually I became pregnant that I realized, oh my God, my life is in the balance here. The first time I got pregnant, I um, I would have, if I would have gone to the hospital when I did, I would be dead because I lost a baby and I hemorrhaged so bad that if I wouldn't have been in the emergency room at the time I was, I that'd be it. And I think that if there were a situation that a man could get in that was that precarious, that like, you know, one second, you're just up, it would, we, we wouldn't even be talking about it. You know, it just wouldn't even. And I just feel like any woman, as soon as, you know, just changing your whole body, changing your whole life should be up to you if you want to do it or not. But for you, Pam, for you, it was you had an experience where you were pregnant and something happened and you were bleeding out the, the pregnancy went bad. The baby was not, did not have a heartbeat, but yet you were going to bleed out and die and you were saved. And then the same situation happened in a second pregnancy. It's exactly the same. Both times that I had a miscarriage, I was 13 and a half weeks pregnant, which is exactly, which is you're all good after 12 weeks, except I wasn't both times, 13 and a half weeks. Yeah, I was not going to let that happen again. So rather than miscarry, you told your doctor to take care of it ahead of miscarriage right right now take me to the emergent take me to the operating room and get this baby out it's amazing and and i think it's pretty it's significant for you to mention you were 13 and a half weeks pregnant because a lot of the new legislation we're hearing about is 12 weeks or less as far as when an abortion can take place and even though you were going to miscarry and you knew it was coming because it was the exact same scenario that happened to you in the past your doctor would, in some of these states that limited it 12 weeks, abortion to 12 weeks, I'm, you probably would not have been able to have your doctor do the abortion or DNC or whatever right. the technical term is for that situation, because right at that moment, your life was not at risk. Right. If, if they had a provision for life, your health or your life being at risk. Yeah. And you don't even know if that's even a situation that there would be. Mm. I mean, maybe they don't because there are some that aren't taking into consideration a mother's health. Right. Right. Fascinating. I know. And these are just three unique stories of so many stories, uh, again, on both sides of of the issue, which I think why it's choice is important because it's just so, again, it's easy. What I said in the beginning, it's so easy to say, well, 
this is the way it should be. This is what I would do. If you haven't been in that situation, you really don't know, especially I think for something like this, you really just don't know because there are too many variables that are possible. You know, I was also like around this topic, Karen and I have had so many conversations around this topic because of, you know, just being able to choose what's best for you in your life. It's so much what we're about on this podcast is making choices so that you can be your best self and you can live your best life. And whatever those choices are, they need to serve you. And how confusing the definitions of life are and how confusing this could be for policymakers around life. If we just go to the basic constitution, it says that, you know, we have the right to bear arms. We have the right for life. We have the right for liberty. We have the right for our own personal possessions, like our inalienable rights as human beings. We have the right to, to live, to, to live our life decide what's best for us if we don't kill somebody or steal, you know, based on laws, right? But if the definition of when does when does life start and when does life stop, that definition is so important to policymakers, yet the life of the person doesn't seem to matter. So I'm going to go out here on a big limb and I'm going to just say some things that might be really controversial. And these are just my, this is just my opinion just my personal opinion. And this may sound awful. And I'm being really brave and courageous for putting this out there on the WWW. But a baby, by definition, is a parasite. It cannot survive without the host. It's connected by an umbilical cord and a placenta. And it absolutely has to have that host in order for it to survive. So at one at what point does that life become its own independent life? Like, I'm not going to define that, but I'm going to assume that it happens when that umbilical cord is cut and the placenta is no longer there. But for many of the policymakers, it's, it's when there's a heartbeat, right? Or when there's certain activity in that fetus that say that it's now a life. I think a life needs to be able to survive on its own in order for it to be a life. Otherwise, it it can't survive. So like that's one area where I can see policymakers having a lot of difficulty just defining what when life starts and when life stops in order to even set policy. But then what about the life of the person who has to be the provider, be the everything to this this new life that's being born? What about that choice? Like in your instance, Pam, it was literally your life or death that would have mattered. So you choose to give life to this baby and then now you no, no longer have life. And we don't even know that that, that baby's life would survive at 13 and a half weeks if you died. Like what would happen then? Right. The question there. And then for you, Alicia, like where would you be personally in your life? Like would that have spiraled you into a place where maybe you would have gotten clinically depressed and killed your own, killed yourself or taken your own life because it just wasn't what was best for you at that time. And I'm making up a whole bunch of story there. That's probably not true, right? But I'm just saying, what if, what if you were that person where it would have totally ruined your life in a way where 
you would have derailed yourself. Maybe you become a drug addict or something different because of this one event in your life. And and Nancy, what if your parents like forced you into deciding, oh my God, I'm being shunned by my family. I'm being shamed by my family. I have to choose an abortion just to keep my family together. What would that, that might've been the same decision outcome as Alicia's, even though they were separate decisions, it was still affecting your personal life and a decision that you didn't want to make for yourself. So as Kara said in the beginning, it's so easy for us to sit back and say, well, this is what I think it should be. And this is what I think life when life starts. And this is when I think we need to make these decisions. But what about, I would imagine if I were a woman having to face this, I would be like, but what about me? What about me? Like, what about my decision and what matters to me? Does anybody care about me and my life moving forward? Or are you just setting policy of what you think is best for me? Nobody knows what's best for you except you. And I think that's what you're all saying right now is you all chose something different, but it was the best thing for you at the time in your life. And here you all are, amazing, functioning, amazing women making a difference in the world. I don't know that that would have happened if you didn't, if you weren't able to choose that. So can you kind of talk about that and what might your life be like? Had you made a different decision or have you ever thought about that? If you made a different decision and what your life would be like? So I've thought about it, but so for two reasons. So first I wanted to have children. I always thought I would have children. Uh, it just didn't happen for me. You know, I just, you know, never met Mr. Wright or whatever, but I <laughs> just, it never happened. So had I known, in fact, I remember having a conversation with the father that, you know, what if this was my one chance to have a child? And he was like, don't be ridiculous. Of course, you know, it didn't work out with us, but I see him from time to time. And he's he was like, of course, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a family. And, you know, and I didn't. And, you know, had I known that then, would I have made a different decision? But the bottom line is you don't know. You have no idea what would have happened. Had I had the child, your life would have gone, my life would have gone. There's actually a TV show on right now about a girl who has two, there's two different life threads where the girl gets pregnant and doesn't go down this road and she doesn't get pregnant and she goes down, like she has a child and this happens and she doesn't have a child and this happens. And it's two different storylines in the show. And I was like, I got to watch that and see how they do it because there's no possible way to know how your life would have turned out had you made a decision, a different decision, because I didn't. I do want to build on something that you were saying because I've always hated the my body, my choice mantra because it's just so overly simplifying the choice that you're making. What pregnancy does to your, obviously excluding the, you know, what you went through with this pregnancy could kill me, obviously excluding that situation, what your, what pregnancy, what carrying a child, what having a child does to your body is such a small part of the decision about whether or not to have a child, you know, having a family is a big decision. And 
it's such a small part of what weighs into that decision. Like, well, if I get pregnant, this is going to happen. Well, yeah, but that's, I mean, that was, that never entered into my decision-making about whether or not I was going to have a child or not, you know? So I've always just hated that mantra for all, like all the, I mean, you, you went, it was very hyperbolic around what if this happened and what if I came a drug addict and what if it, you know, but all of those things, you have to weigh in all those factors. And that's why I've just, I've never liked that campaign or whatever you want to call it. So you're saying Alicia, that you don't like the, my body, my choice mantra, because clear that up for me. It's just so slimming. It's so, it has so much more to do than my body. It's my life, my choice. It's my family, my choice. It's got it. My future, my choice. It's my child, my choice. It's, it's all of those things. It's so much more than my body. A hundred percent get it. And, and couldn't agree more with you. Yeah. It's no one else's choice. It's just more than just my body. And it's not that simple sometimes. Right. And it's just not that simple. And nobody has a crystal ball. Pregnancy does a lot. Like not, and you're, and you're right, Alicia, it's more than just your body. Um, it's your life. It's your mind. I mean, the hormones. I don't know what it was like when you had an abortion, but I'm sure you had part of one of the things that had to be an after effect. Oh yeah, it absolutely was. I was, it was, I think I was, I was about six weeks pregnant. And first of all, for three weeks, I was nauseous from one o'clock to six o'clock. All I could do was lay down or I would vomit and then I would be up till midnight. So I can't imagine what going through that for six months would be like. I couldn't, I didn't obviously do that. And then after the procedure for about three weeks, my body had already started changing. Yeah, it does right away. Yeah. And then for three weeks after that, I was extraordinarily hormonal. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember being in a new mom's group after I had my first child and there was a, a case in the news you know, when we first started, all of our kids were young about a woman who had left her child like in the dumpster behind the grocery store. And every single one of us was like, okay, like we're like this close. Like I'm holding my fingers apart one inch to do, you know, to being able to do that because there's so much, uh, so much stress and hormones going on that it's, it's hard. There's a lot. It's, yeah, it's definitely more than just what happens to your body what happens to your whole life. And even your decision to to keep your children, just telling your parents what that that impact on your family relationship. You're talking to Nancy now, right, Alicia? Nancy, I mean, just that decision. Yeah. Yeah. I truly believed it was my body, my life. I knew what I wanted. See, I think that yeah, I understand the whole thing about hormones and all, but I, I've always been very driven. So it was never a, like Oh, what should I do? It's, oh, looks like, looks like we got to do this. Let's go figure that out. And we did. What bothers me about this whole abortion debate right now, like my body, my choice is, is crazy. It's not just your body. It is another body in there, you know, and it's two bodies. It's two bodies. And I have a problem with these policymakers that mostly are men and they're trying to decide which, which week you're allowed to abort and which week you're not allowed and which state you live in. It's not up to these men that run our government. They're making a mess out of everything anyway. (laughs) 
<laughs> Go, Nancy. <laughs> where, where are the women that are, you know, building these, you know, these caucuses to, you know, actually deal with the abortion problem from a woman's point of view? Nancy Pelosi has six children. Come on. You know, what about her kids? What are her kids issues? You know, who's speaking out from a woman's point of view? I mean, Lindsey Graham came out with something yesterday, 15 week abortion nationally. I'm like, who is he to say? Who the hell is he? He's like 80 years old. I mean, <laughs> it just drives me crazy. And then you've got Planned Parenthood on the other side that I've always thought was the evil empire because that's all I ever heard. And now I hear a different point of view from Alicia. I'm like, oh, I had no idea because I never went to one of those places. So but there's a lot of education that needs to be done, especially at the teenage level of these children. Falling in love is not a bad thing. But when you're, you know, you're young and you're on drugs or, you know, you kick out of your house, the more kids you have, the more welfare you get. It's messed up. You get the food stamps, you get the you know, you get the free medical. My my little niece, she's a mother, she's just turned 16. She got pregnant with her boyfriend because her, her mom's a drug addict. And, you know, it was like, oh, now what? And to me, the, the decision was simple. If she can get an abortion, she should. At 16, her mother is a drug addict. She doesn't need another child in that house. And she doesn't need to ruin her life. She's just a senior in high school. So it's, I could make that decision my own, but, you know, I'm not in charge. You know, it's her body. It's her life. And she chose to have the abortion. I was very proud of her at such a young age. But I'm sure it's going to mess her up just like it did you, Alicia. I mean, it's hard. Um, she was so young. And that bothers me about this whole country right now, what they're doing with this war on on women. And, um, you know, I, I don't like it. If it's abortion, what is it next, you know? Well, I think that what bothers me so much is that besides the fact that they're taking this right away, which in and of itself is unthinkable, is that, you know, they want to limit access to birth control. You know, they want to make it very difficult for you to not have a child. And then they want to make it difficult for you to support that child. So, you know, they don't, they want you to have children, but then if you aren't able to support those children, they want to limit access to the services that can help you raise them. Well, you're going to have to pick one. Yeah. Well, what about the dad? What about, what about the father of your child when you went to him and he said, you know, I, I don't know what he said, but he wasn't interested in your child. No, no, no. So let, let me be very clear. I went to him and said, listen, I'm pregnant. I am not having this child. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> and I, obviously he went very pale because he was like, I can't, how is this happening again? I mean, he knew how it was happening again, but, and he said, look, whatever you want to do, I, I'm going to support you that it's, it's entirely your decision, but whatever you want to do, we'll figure it out. So he, it's, he didn't go. Yeah, I'm out. I mean, right. Afterwards, he didn't handle it all that great, but, but he didn't just go, yeah, I'm not doing this and walk away. It wasn't, it wasn't anything like that. But what I'm saying is the, the guys have no responsibility. Why? But no, they don't. I mean, they can easily, men can physically walk away. I mean, there are a lot of stand-up guys out there that will, you know, it's not, it's not like men as a whole will just walk away, but physically, yes, they can. They can just leave. Like that's so fascinating. And I don't know that I ever thought of it this way until just now bringing this up, but yes, the decision falls on the woman because she literally is housing the fetus 
And the man can totally abandon the whole operation and not not even maybe participate in that child's life, even though he participated in forming that child's life. You would have to use legal measures to get him involved, at least financially. Yes. If you if that's what you wanted. Well, if you if you can stop a woman from having an abortion, why can't you? stop a man from walking away from a child. Why does he get a second standard than us women? That's a really good question. That is a great question. Why? I mean, they're going after the wrong person. These women are struggling to raise families and, 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 you know, where's the man in the family? And you can see what's going on, you know, with the poor people in this country. They just keep having kids. And the more kids they have, the more money they get from government. And then daddy walks out. And it's just like, it's ruining our country. It's not right. That's one of the things that um, I think I learned just a couple of years ago. My one grandson was born at 29 weeks and was in the NICU for a while. And I, when I would go to visit him, every other baby that was in that intensive care unit was addicted to drugs. Okay. And I mean, I met well, most of them never had anybody come visit them, but a couple, but one mom in particular, I talked to every day and she was actually trying, but I know that she didn't succeed. My grandson is three years old. So her child's also three. Since then, she's had two more children because my daughter has run into her. And the last time my daughter saw her, um, all of her children had been taken away. Oh God, that's heartbreaking. I think that a lot of these Mothers choose to remain pregnant because it's just the easy thing to do and they can just keep doing drugs like right through the whole pregnancy. Nobody wants those kids. You know how when they say, oh, well, they're going to you can put it up for adoption. Nobody wants those kids that are born addicted to drugs and, you know, completely messed up. And it, it, the, I think like our whole focus is in the wrong place. You know, we're just worrying about the wrong things. Right. I was just going to say right now, I feel like everybody's focused on fighting with the person across the aisle from them and pissing them off rather than being productive. Yeah. And being right. I, I don't think this country can solve this problem with, you know, an old male legislature and, and Senate and president. And, you know, as much as he says that he's you know pro abortion, he's also a practicing Catholic. And, you know, it's like he's changed his views, but it's like they don't know what they're talking about. You know, they don't know what they're talking about. We do. Us women should be able to make this decision. It should be a woman's vote, not a man's vote, a woman's vote. But it's important for women to talk like we are tonight. Yeah. Hopefully go out and talk about it more tomorrow and have maybe only change the world one person at a time. And which is why I also said in the beginning, I was happy to find out today that there, because I just did a little research that there are six states. I know we have 50 states, but six of them are putting it on the ballot. So at least, even if it if it's not the way that I personally want it to go, at least they're asking their constituents what they want. And hopefully the women will go to the polls and really say, you know, vote for what, what they want in that state. And women voting is way, way up because of this issue. And I think that's very good. You know, my father used to tell my mother, you're going to vote Republican. And she said, I'm voting Democrat. She would fight him. <laughs> When I was a kid and, you know, he was like, no, you're not voting Democrat. And she, to this day, she still votes for Democrats because she had her own mind. But, you know, we know what we want. Us Americans, we sit at the table. We know what we want. It's the government that doesn't know us. They, you know, they, they just know how to build wars and, and spend money. So when it comes to this issue, though, 
I also think it, while I think it's incredibly important that it stay legal and people educate themselves on it, I also think it goes back to availability of birth control. Because if you make birth control more readily available, then you have fewer abortions because abortions were on the decline over the last 10 years or so because people could get birth control. So when you start defunding Planned Parenthood and you have companies that can say, no, we're not going to cover birth control in our insurance plans, then that naturally is going to lead to more pregnancies. Why can't you buy it in the drugstore? That's what I, I cannot understand at all. The pill? Is why you can't, yeah, like pills. Or from Amazon. Right. They're so low dose today that I, it, you know, and I know from, from what, from my kids that you could just get them without really the doctor might take your blood pressure. Well, I guess it could be, I mean, I know for me, as I got older, I ended up having to switch to multiple different types of pills because I started to not be able to take different kinds and then having to try all kinds of different types of birth control. So it could be that. I mean, if you have high blood pressure, if you have whatever, it could be, there could be medical reasons why you can't be on something. But there are, there are medical reasons why you shouldn't take some over-the-counter cold medicine. True. Are you saying that you can get birth control pills without a prescription? No, you should be able to. I think you should be able to. Yeah, I, I didn't know if that was the case right now. Okay. I mean, you can buy a condom, you can buy foam, you can buy a lot of... You can get Plan B without a prescription, and that's estrogen. For now. You can get what without a prescription? You can get Plan B without a prescription. Yeah, right. The the like over the take it the next day pill. Yeah, the morning after pill. So if we have, and I'm just thinking of our listeners and I'm just thinking of maybe some devil's advocate kind of feelings that might be coming up. So if if you can get some birth control type things at the drugstore, why is this still an issue about providing birth control? Like we we do have ways that we can have birth control. Well, because you can't get real effective birth control at the drugstore. I am living proof that condoms are not foolproof. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> totally get it. And uh, I'm just knocking on wood that uh, they, whatever worked for me over the years, but I totally get it. But I'm just curious, like who, so who owns that part of it? If we're going to say government, you're not allowed to tell me what I, with the choices I make with my body and my life, then why does the government have to provide birth control? I feel like we're saying the same thing. We, you know, you, you can't have it both ways. I don't think the government has to provide it. I think they just, it just needs to be available. But it is available. I'm saying insurance companies should have to cover it as part of your insurance plan as any other prescription is. Agreed. But not all prescriptions are covered, Alicia. So like- True. It, I mean, not all prescriptions are covered. It's like, if I'm just going to say my husband had prostate cancer. And so, in or, wow, I'm going to really put something out there on the WWW right now. And in order for you know us to- have sex, he needs a prescription pill to do that. That's not covered by insurance. Fair enough. But he can still buy it, right? No. You can't buy it without a prescription. No, it needs a prescription. Okay, but he could still pay cash for it, but he needs a prescription from a doctor first. And it's not covered. So it's the same as a as a as a pill, as the pill. You need a prescription. 
and it's not covered by insurance. So I'm just saying some of these, so you can't have it both ways. Like, so we have to find some kind of common ground, like whose responsibility is it truly? Is it the responsibility of the insurance company? Is it the responsibility of the person who says, I want to have sex? Okay, if you want to have sex and you don't want to get pregnant, then you need this birth control and it's going to cost you money. Are you ready for that? Like, I'm just trying to figure out where are the boundaries? That's fair. These are the questions we should be asking our legislature. Right. We should be asking the lawmakers, what do you know about it? I mean, you just look at what they just did with all these billions of dollars and all this money that they're putting into the economy. Why don't you just provide birth control pills so these moms don't get pregnant and they don't have to deal with abortion? You know, they have a, a they have a simpler solution to not get pregnant instead of abstraction, which is not abstinence, which is not really a solution. I'm with you because really it would save the government a ton of money because those totally those addicted babies we take care of the society takes care of and they're uh, I mean I hate to say but some some of us wind up being burdens on society because we some society has to take care of you because nobody else will right so I'm with you on that I 100% agree but where 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 do we we can't have things both ways we can't say we want it this way for this issue but not for this issue I think that if there, if you're going to say, if, if not you personally, but if there, if legislatures are going to say, we're not going to help you get any of this birth control, but if you want it, you have to, you have to find it, you have to, um, you have to purchase it with your own money, or you know, there are no discounts, whatever else. Then don't go trying to put laws that will restrict what you can do after you get pregnant because you didn't, couldn't afford birth control or something else. So I don't think, from what I heard, we're asking for it both ways. Does that make sense? The government doesn't get involved with insurance. Oh, you don't think so? Oh, <laughs> well, not technically. I'm just playing devil's advocate. Okay. That's all. Not, not, no, not technically. They don't. They don't uh, legislate what insurance will pay for and what insurance won't pay for. Yeah, I guess it's the companies. The companies that use them for insurance, they can carve out certain things that they don't want to cover for their their uh, employees. I go back to when the HIV sickness came across half of America, and you know it was you know sex with gay gay men having sex with gay people. That's how you you contracted it. Nobody wanted to talk about it. They were all of a sudden ostracized. Remember Ryan White, the little boy who got it from a blood transfusion, and they ostracized him, threw him out of school. That was cruel. And you have to look at it the same way with what we're doing to women now. And how did HIV get solved? The guys with HIV went out and found the drugs worldwide and created the, there was a movie about it, the Dallas Virus Club. Remember that? He's buying drugs all over the world. He's dying of HIV. But he made the point. So finally, Washington heard it. And now if you get HIV, there's help and you can get it. So they were ostracized because of it. And now here we are, we're fighting, women are fighting over my body, my choice. That's not the problem. The problem is the government trying to tell us what we should be doing. I mean, we can solve this. We just need advocates in Washington that are helping to solve it, not, you know, protesting all the time, but actually going out and solving it. And I think it can be done. There's a lot of women in Congress now. We're just not talking to the right people. We're listening to these men that have no clue, probably, you know, don't even care. I don't know. But Nancy, I'm going to say there's plenty of women out there that feel that are pro-life. It's not a gender issue. It's not at all. I mean, 
I drive by the protesters on 19 and by Planned Parenthood, and it's not men out there protesting. It's just as many women, if not more women than men, protesting about abortion. So I don't think it's a gender thing. No, I don't either. I think both men and women have very strong feelings. I mean, I'm talking about the general public. What I'm saying is nobody's talking to, where's the committee, uh, you know, talking to Congress about the pros and cons of birth control pills on the open market? Where, who's talking to them? You know, they bring in everybody else to talk to Congress. Why don't they talk to us women that are really struggling right now? That's a good point. And I'm wondering if the now National Organization of Women might be, they must have lobbyists and they must be speaking to some of our members of Congress. I'm guessing I have not done that research. They used to. They, yeah, they they actually changed to be the National Organization for Women now, I think. They're not as, they're not as prevalent as they used to be. They got kind of extreme and so they lost their pull. The Planned Parenthood, I don't know if I'd call them lobbyists, but they they would go a lot because they got some funding from the government. And part of the reason why they had success is because something like 5% of their procedures were abortions, but their money, the way Planned Parenthood worked with their funding was I was out of work about 15 years ago. And so when I was out of work, I would go get my checkups at Planned Parenthood because you paid the amount you paid Planned Parenthood for your checkups or whatever was based on the last, I think, three quarters of your income. So you would show them whatever pay subs you have. And they said, okay, based on this, this is what you need to pay us for your checkups. So you could get birth control. You could get your annual exam. Men could go there for family planning. And because of their government funding, that's how they were able to provide these services far more the number of abortions they performed each year. And so that lobby did a lot of good work. But again, it all comes back to education. People equate Planned Parenthood with abortions as opposed to equating Planned Parenthood with all these other health services they provide for not just women, but families. Earlier when we were talking about birth control, I was just thinking that, you know, my knowledge base is that like the IUD is more effective in preventing pregnancy than sterilization or getting your tubes tied. Okay. Well, haven't heard that word in a while. Sterilization. Sterilization. Yeah. Getting your tubes tied. Cause actually if you have a hysterectomy, you're probably not going to get pregnant. But if you have your tubes tied, you're still more likely to get pregnant than if you have an IUD. However, my daughter delivered a baby who was conceived with, with the IUD in place. So nothing is, nothing is foolproof. I'm, this is last week. I mean, it's not the, like it's rare. It happens. It's like nothing is foolproof. My, my sister-in-law too said she got pregnant with an IUD in. Yeah. And it's a little bit weird because it's, it's a little tricky when you're ready to have a baby because they can't take it out until you're having a baby because they don't want to accidentally. Really? Let the floodgates out. Yeah, they can't really. It's like you can't take the cork out of the wine until you're ready to drink it. I know somebody who got pregnant with an IUD. Wow. I'm learning so much. <laughs> my body rejected my IUD. Oh. Oh, great. I ha- I didn't have mine in that long. And I went back to my doctor. I said, get this thing out of me. Was it painful, Alicia? It was painful. In fact, when she removed it, it was painful. And she said, okay, that, that should not have hurt. <laughs> How long ago did you have it? 
uh, about seven years ago. Because I, I mean, I just remember when IUD was like the most awful thing ever. Like, oh my God, you ever, nobody should have them. They'll kill you, whatever. But now it's, um, they're all that. Like they're all their age. Everybody gets an IUD. Well, when I had it, because I couldn't, I couldn't conceive again. My doctor told me I wouldn't survive another birth. I was in an IUD until I was 35. And then I ended up with a total hysterectomy because the IUD created a fibrous tumor as my doctor described it, the size of a grapefruit, my uterus. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From all the years of IUD. And I never got pregnant again, but I almost died. I mean, I passed out under the table bleeding and yeah, yeah, I almost died. So there's every everybody's different. I just, I don't know why it attacked my body. I don't know why, but I didn't get pregnant. Well, they do make them different now is, from, is what I'm told. I'm sure they do. Yeah, I'm sh- I, I hope they do. So ladies, I, I'm just curious, like now here, here the three of you are years later after these tough decisions that you've made, really, really tough decisions. One, what would each of you say to that person that was faced with that decision at the time? If you could go back and talk to that self that you were at the age um, Nancy, I think you were 19 years old. And Alicia, I think you said you were 26. And Pam, this was after your first two children. What would each of you say if we could just kind of do a round robin? And then my follow-up question to that is, how are you feeling now, these so many years later? And you already alluded to this about what's happening with Roe versus Wade and what what your hope is that we can come to And obviously, based on our conversation, I feel like we all know that answer, but I want you to just kind of kind of share it with us if you would. So can we start with you again, Alicia? Sure. Uh, I would tell myself that you're going to be fine. You made the right decision and you're not going to be eternally messed up over it. You know, you'll think about it now and then, but you'll always come back to the fact that you made the right decision for you and for the baby. About what's happening, I think, you know, when the announcement came out, like officially came out, the person who took me uh, for my procedure called me and said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm angry. I said, I feel like there's a right that's being taken away from people that I had, or there's a right that I had that's being taken away from people. And that's not fair. And I should be doing something about that. And I don't know what that's going to be, but it's going to be something and we'll figure, I'm going to figure it out, but I can't just sit here and watch it be taken away and not act on it. And you're doing something today by talking about it. So we really appreciate that. I hope. Nancy, do you want to go next? Sure. If I were talking to my 19 year old self today, I would say, you don't have to do this. Exactly what my father said. You don't have to do this. And I would say, you know, I don't know how hard it's going to be because I didn't realize how hard it was going to be, but I would still do it because it was a life in me. And I, I haven't changed my view on that. What I feel about the whole issue on abortion right now is I think that the the women in this country are going to vote and they're going to bring this to a, a head and that this is going to be solved and abortion will be legal in America. But I also think that the the government itself is one of our worst detractors to you know it as a solution if necessary rather than it's you know it's killing it's no it's 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 your choice I, I agree with that and I, I also feel that the, it's a father's choice too the two have 
a role and a responsibility. And if you accept to have that baby, it's your baby. If you accept to abort it, you know, you do, but it shouldn't be something that the, the, the government tells you what you can do. I just am against that. And I'm pro-life. So I, you know, if I got pregnant again, I would have had another child, but that's me. But I think, you know, if you're pro-choice or whatever, you that's your choice too. So Nancy, what you said was so fascinating. You said, I'm pro-life, but really I'm pro-choice because it's not the government's place. Is that what I'm, am I hearing you like, right? You're hearing my personal feelings on my body is pro-life. My, my opinion on the rest of the women in this world, it's their choice. It's their choice. Now, I can't tell them that they have to have that baby, but I know it's a baby. You know, I'll never, I'll never say that's not a baby till it's born. It is a baby. And so, and it's your baby. That's a decision you have to make. Thank you. You're welcome. Pam? Well, I just feel like um, younger Pam was kind of crazy and reckless and she kept getting pregnant. (laughs) (laughs) Were you and your husband trying to have all of these? I mean, Pam has three children or you were trying to have kids. Yes or no? We really wanted to have a child and it was very difficult to have Cheryl. I had the miscarriage before her and then it took us a good year to, to actually get pregnant again. And we were young. So we just thought, well, that it sucks to try to have a baby. Let's not do that again. And so we didn't. And we just kept, I mean, when Tommy, when they cut Tommy out of me, uh, they, they tied up my tubes at the same time or else right now you'd probably be seeing like, I don't know, a couple of baseball teams behind me. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But at the time it was, it was crazy. And, and, you know, and there were like times where I would be like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? And, and, you know, and even when with the second miscarriage or the second uh, bad pregnancy, it was, was a difficult, it was, it just sucked. Okay. But in the, at the end of the day, and at this point in my life, I look at it and go, if I had to do it all over again, I wouldn't have changed anything because here I am and it's not, it's not all bad, could be worse. You know, this is life and this is the one I chose and I'm going to live it. Yeah, you know, like I think I said in my last time I was with Patty and Kara, own it. Like just own your life. You, you you made your choices. You just have to own it. I like it. Good words. Good words to live by. Kara, I think we need to wrap this podcast up and send it to the policymakers in our government. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. Do you know one who will listen? Send it to Lindsey Graham. Send it to Lindsey Graham's wife. I'm a hundred percent serious. Is she an independent thinker? Probably not. Yeah, I was going to say, you got to be, I was almost thinking Mitch McConnell's wife or something. I don't know if she's an independent thinker either. Why don't we just send it to everyone? I just want to say if Alicia ever comes to Florida, we all should get together and have a glass of wine. That's a great idea. 100%. I'm in. Awesome. I'm in. (laughs) Well, thank you, ladies. This has been great. We really appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing your stories. You are brave women. You are strong women. We really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah. And there's so many women who are identifying with each one of your stories. And I know that you've kind of spoken to them and you know, you're going to really help them in, in some of the things that they're going through. So that's what this is all about too. So appreciate it. Thank you. It was wonderful meeting you all. Yes. Lovely. I'm not real good at this. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much. 
We hope this podcast has inspired and empowered you to overcome what might be holding you back from living your best life. If you love this podcast, please share it with a woman you know who needs a little empowerment. Now go out in the world and be bold, be brave, be you. Perfectly imperfect you. With love, Kara and Patty. I wonder what would happen if you say what you want to say. So how do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just go. Mixed and edited by Desmond McNeese for We Mixed It, LLC. Go to whatsoundsawesome.com. All right, Des, we're actually going to start now. <laughs>